Thanks for joining me here again for yet another chapter in B.F. Skinner's Science and Human Behavior. We are up to chapter 10, and this should be interesting. Uh, the title of this chapter is Emotion, always a controversial uh, topic when we have folks talking about what uh, behavior analysis includes and uh, how we use operant conditioning and what are some of the variables we factor in when we are coming up with plans to change behavior. All right, well, I'll just get started. Chapter 10, Emotion. What is an emotion? The emotions are excellent examples of the fictional causes to which we commonly attribute behavior. We run away because of fear and strike because of anger. We are paralyzed by rage and depressed by grief. These causes are in turn attributed to events in our history or present circumstances, to the things which frighten or enrage us or make us angry or sad. The behavior, the emotion, and the prior external event comprise the three links of our familiar causal chain. The middle link may be taken to be either psychic or physiological. In the psychic case, it is argued that an external circumstance makes an individual feel emotional and that the feeling leads him to take appropriate action. The famous James Lang theory, developed by the American psychologist William James and the Danish physician C.G. Lang, asserted, however, that one did not feel the inner causes of emotion, but simply some part of the emotional behavior itself. James cast this assertion in classical form by saying that we feel sorry because we cry, angry because we strike, afraid because we tremble, and not that we cry, strike, or tremble because we are sorry, angry, or fearful, as the case may be. This theory emphasized the study of the physiological changes which we feel in emotion and to some extent identified the psychic middle link with the physiological. The most obvious changes which are present when the layman says he feels an emotion are the responses of smooth muscles and glands, for example, blushing, blanching, weeping, sweating, salivated, salivating, and contracting the small muscles in the skin which produce goose flesh in man and elevate the fur of animals. Many of these are familiar in the form recorded by the lie detector, which detects, not dishonesty, but the emotional responses generated when the individual engages in behavior for which he has previously been punished. In spite of extensive research, it has not been possible to show that each emotion is distinguished by a particular pattern of responses of glands and smooth muscles. Although there are a few characteristic patterns of such responses, the differences between emotions are often not great and do not follow the usual distinctions. 
nor are such responses diagnostic of emotion in general, since they also occur under other circumstances, for example, after heavy exercise or in a chill wind. Certain responses executed by the facial and postural muscles are commonly said to express emotion, laughing, growling, snarling, baring the teeth, and the muscular responses which accompany the secretion of tears are examples. The lower organisms generally have a more extensive repertoire of this sort. Emotional expressions can be imitated by operant behavior as in the theater and are frequently modified by the social environment to conform to cultural specifications. To some extent, a given culture has its own way of laughing, its own cries of pain, and so on. It has not been possible to specify given sets of expressive responses as characteristic of particular emotions, and in any case, such responses are not said to be the emotion. In the search for what is happening in emotion, the scientist has found himself at a peculiar disadvantage. Where the layman identifies and classifies emotions not only with ease but with considerable consistency, the scientist, in focusing upon responses of glands and smooth muscles and upon expressive behavior, has not been sure that he could tell the difference between even such relatively gross emotions as anger and fear. Some means of identification available to the layman appears to have been overlooked. The layman does not say that a man is angry simply because the small blood vessels enlarge so that he becomes red or because his pulse accelerates or because certain muscles set his jaw and lips in position reminiscent of the snarl of the uncivilized animal. All of this may happen without emotion, and the layman frequently judges a man to be angry when he has no knowledge of such responses whatsoever. For example, when he says that the writer of a letter must have been angry when he wrote it. He knows that a companion is afraid as he walks with her through a dark street, even though he does not see her turning pale or know that the secretion of her digestive juices has been suppressed or that her pulse has accelerated. Under other circumstances, all of this might be happening when he would not call her afraid at all. Emotion as Predisposition when the man in the street says that someone is afraid or angry or in love, he is generally talking about predispositions to act in certain ways. The angry man shows an increased probability of striking, insulting, or otherwise inflicting injury, and a lowered probability of aiding, favoring, comforting, or making love. The man in love shows an increased tendency to aid, favor, be with, and caress, and a lowered tendency to injure in any way. In fear, a man tends to reduce or avoid contact with specific stimuli, as by running away, hiding, or covering his eyes and ears. At the same time, he is less likely to advance towards such stimuli or into unfamiliar territory. These are useful facts, and something like the layman's mode of classification has a place in a scientific analysis. The names of the so-called emotions serve to classify behavior with respect to various circumstances which affect its probability. The safest practice is to hold to the adjectival form. Just as the hungry organism can be accounted for without too much difficulty, although hunger is another matter. So by describing behavior as fearful, affectionate, timid, and so on, we are not led to look for things called emotions. 
The common idioms in love, in fear, and in anger suggest a definition of an emotion as a conceptual state in which a special response is a function of circumstances in the history of the individual. In casual discourse, and for many scientific purposes, some such way of referring to current strength in terms of the variables of which it is a function is often desirable. But so defined, an emotion, like a drive, is not to be identified with physiological or psychic conditions. The Responses Which Vary Together in Emotion we have no guarantee that the vocabulary of the layman will survive unchanged in a scientific study. In the following discussion, however, terms taken from casual discourse are often used to refer, refer to familiar observations and to point up certain essential problems. Some emotions, joy and sorrow, for example, involve the whole repertoire of the organism. We recognize this and we say that an emotion is exciting or depressing. Some emotions involve the whole repertoire, but in more specific ways. Probably no behavior remains unchanged when the organism becomes afraid or angry, but responses related to specific features of the environment, the object of the fear or anger, are especially affected. Some of the milder emotions, such as embarrassment, sympathy, and amusement, may be localized more narrowly in small subdivisions of a repertoire. Responses which vary together in an emotion do so in part because of a common consequence. The responses which grow strong in anger inflict damage upon persons or objects. This process is often biologically useful when an organism competes with other organisms or struggles with the inanimate world. The grouping of responses which define anger thus depend in part upon conditioning. Behavior which inflicts damage is reinforced in anger and is subsequently controlled by the conditions which control anger. Just as food is reinforcing to a hungry organism, so damage inflicted upon another is reinforcing to an angry one. Just as a hungry man exclaims, good, when he receives food, so the angry man exclaims, good, when his opponent is damaged in any way. Some of the behavior involved in an emotion is apparently unconditioned, however, and in that case, the grouping must be explained in terms of evolutionary consequences. For example, in some species, biting, striking, and clawing appear to be strengthened during anger before conditioning can have taken place. These responses generate cries of pain and other evidences of damage, which then reinforce other responses to bring them within the class of angry behavior. For example, if an angry child attacks, bites, or strikes another child, all without prior conditioning, and if the other child cries or runs away, then these same consequences may reinforce other behavior of the angry child, which can scarcely be innate. For example, teasing the other child, taking toys away from him, destroying his work, or calling him names. The adult possesses a full-fledged repertoire of obviously conditioned verbal responses which inflict injury, all of which are strong in anger and co-vary with unconditioned behavior as function of the same variables. Emotional Operations 
We discover the variables of which emotional states are a function as we discover any variables by looking for them. Many cases are familiar. A sudden loud noise often induces fear. Continued physical restraint or other interference with behavior may generate rage. Failure to receive an accustomed reinforcement is a special case of restraint which generates a kind of rage call, called frustration. Behavior which has frequently been punished may be emitted in a form called timid or embarrassed. We must not expect too much, however, from these everyday terms. They have grown out of circumstances which emphasize typical cases and have never been tested under conditions which require precise definition. Even an apparently well-marked emotion like anger may not be reducible to a single class of responses or, or attributable to a single set of operations. The anger produced by one circumstance may not be the same as that produced by another. Again, the interruption of an established sequence of responses usually has an emotional effect, but when one cannot write a letter because a pen is missing or cannot open a door because it is bolted on the other side or cannot converse with someone who is totally deaf or does not speak the same language, the resulting effects may differ in as many ways as the circumstances differ. To group them all together as frustrating conditions and to describe all the changes in behavior as rage is a misleading simplification. The recognition of mixed emotions suggests that the usual classification makes distinctions which do not always correspond to the facts. The subtle emotions are still more difficult. The condition which the layman calls loneliness, for example, appears to be a mild form of frustration due to the interruption of an established sequence of responses which have been positively reinforced by the social environment. The lonely man has no one to talk to. No matter where he turns, powerful behavior has no chance to be effective. Loneliness, is, which is due to the absence of a single person who has supplied reinforcement in the form of affection, may be especially profound as the lovesick individual demonstrates. The loneliness of the amiable man who finds himself among strangers for a long time will be of a different character. A child lost in a large crowd suffers in still a different way. All the behavior which has been previously reinforced by the appearance of his mother or father now fails. He looks about but does not see them. He calls and cries, but they do not answer. Depending upon a variety of circumstances, the result may be close to fear or rage or sorrow. At the moment, there appears to be no overall classification which will be applicable to all these examples. We have noted that the fields of motivation and emotion are very close. They may indeed overlap. Any extreme deprivation probably acts as an, as an emotional operation. The starving man is almost necessarily frustrated and afraid. Nostalgia includes both a drive and an emotion. If we remove a man from his characteristic surroundings, a large part of his social behavior cannot be emitted and may therefore become more and more probable. He will return to his old surroundings whenever possible and will be particularly sociable when he does so. Other parts of his behavior become strong because they are automatically reinforced under the prevailing deprivation. He will talk to anyone who will listen about his old surroundings, his old friends, and what he used to do. This is all a result of deprivation. 
but nostalgia is also an emotional condition in which there is a general weakening of other forms of behavior, a depression, which may be quite profound. We cannot classify this as the result of deprivation because the behavior which is thus affected has not been specifically restrained. Distinctions of this sort may seem a little forced, but they are worth making whenever we are interested in understanding or altering such conditions. The total emotion. We define an emotion, insofar as we wish to do so, as a particular state of strength or weakness in one or more responses induced by any one of a class of operations. We may make as many distinctions as we wish between separate emotions, although this endeavor usually exhausts itself in the endless number of distinctions which are actually possible. Methods and practices are available for surveying the effects of any given operation in which we may be interested, and a statement of the relation appears to leave nothing of importance out of account. The reflex responses which accompany many of these states of strength are not to be completely disregarded. They may not help us refine our distinctions, but they add characteristic details to the final picture of the effect of a given emotional circumstance. In describing the fact that criticism of his work makes an employee mad, for example, we may report, one, that he turns red, that the palms of his hands sweat, and that if the evidence is available, that he stops digesting his lunch, two, that his face takes on characteristic expressions of anger, and three, that he tends to slam doors to kick the cat, to speak curtly to his fellow workers, to get into a fight, and to watch a street fight or boxing match with special interest. The operant behavior under three appears to hang together via a common consequence. Someone or something is damaged. The total emotion, if this is of any importance, is the total effect of the criticism of his work upon his behavior. The so-called phobias provide extreme examples. Phobias are generally named after the circumstances which give rise to the emotional condition. In claustrophobia, for example, a possible violent change in behavior is the result of confining the organism in a small space. In agoraphobia, a similar effect follows from placing the organism in a large open space. Many phobias are generated by more specific circumstances. A man with otherwise normal behavior may show an excessive fear of dead birds, for example. How should we describe the latter emotion? We could probably show that the unexpected sight of a dead bird elicits very considerable reflex responses, blanching, sweating, change of pulse rate, and so on, as well as various expressions executed by the musculature of the face and body. If this were the extent of the phobia, we could give a complete description of it as a set of conditioned reflexes evoked by the sight of a dead bird. But there are other important effects. The behavior of escape will be very powerful. Some of this, such as turning or running away, may be unconditioned or conditioned very early in the history of the organism. Some of it, calling upon someone to take the bird away, for example, is obviously of later origin. The rest of the repertoire undergoes a general change. If our subject was in the course of eating his dinner, we observe that he stops eating or eats less rapidly. If he was engaged in some other task, we observe a change which might be described as losing interest. 
we see that he is more likely to jump at sudden noises and to look about him cautiously upon entering new territory. He will be less likely to talk at a natural rate, to laugh, to joke, and so on. He will be predisposed to see a dead bird in place of an old hat lying on the ground. In the sense that this stimulus, which to some extent resembles a dead bird, may reinstate all the emotional conditions just described. These changes may persist, persist for a considerable period of time after the stimulus has been removed. A complete account of the phobia would need to refer to all of them, and this would obviously require a description of the whole behavioral repertoire of the individual. Emotions are not causes. As long as we conceive of the problem of emotion as one of inner states, we are not likely to advance a practical technology. It does not help in the solution of a practical problem to be told that some feature of a man's behavior is due to frustration or anxiety. We also need to be told how the frustration or anxiety has been induced and how it may be altered. In the end, we find ourselves dealing with two events, the emotional behavior and the manipulable conditions of which that behavior is a function, which comprise the proper subject matter of the study of emotion. There are certain cases in which three separate stages can be identified. A chronic emotional condition sometimes leads to certain forms of illness. For example, a man whose business is failing may be subject to a long series of cir circumstances which generate a chronic condition of frustration or anxiety. Part of the total emotion may be reflex responses in the alimentary tract, as a result of which the man may become physically ill. He may develop ulcers, for example. Here, it is legitimate to attribute the illness to an emotion as a cause because we define the emotion as a pattern of behavior. We might in the same way attribute a cracked skull to emotion if the injury was suffered as a result of reckless behavior. But this is very different from arguing that emotional behavior is due to an emotion. A man does not neglect his business because of anxiety or worry. Such a statement is at best merely a way of classifying a particular kind of neglect. The only valid cause is the external condition of which the behavior of neglect as part of an emotional pattern known as anxiety or worry can be shown to be a function. A similar neglect, which might be attributed to a preoccupying love affair, would not be due to to a different emotion. It would simply be the effect of a different set of circumstances. In order to remedy the neglectful behavior in either case, we must attack the external circumstances which are responsible for it. The behavior observed during an emotion is not to be confused with emotion as a hypothetical state, any more than eating is to be confused with hunger. An angry man, like a hungry man, shows a disposition to act in a certain way. He may never act in that way, but we may nevertheless deal with the probability that he will do so. Just as we infer from a history of deprivation that a man is probably hungry, even though he is unable to eat, so we infer that he is probably angry by showing that he generally behaves in an angry fashion upon similar occasions. 
Just as we infer that a man is hungry from his preoccupation with displays of food, so we infer that he is angry because of relatively unimportant responses which co-vary in that emotion. In neither of these cases need our subject emit the important ultimate behavior for which he is predisposed. The layman makes a further distinction between an emotion and a predisposition toward emotion. He speaks of the latter as a mood when the state is temporary, he is in a jolly mood, and as a disposition when it is of longer standing, he has a mean disposition. Moods and dispositions represent a kind of second-order probability, the probability that a given circumstance will raise the probability of a given response. The Practical Use of Emotion Emotional behavior and the conditions which generate it are most easily examined when they are put to practical use. Sometimes we wish to elicit the reflexes, which commonly occur in emotion. Reflexes, as we have seen, cannot be executed upon demand as voluntary behavior. The poet who exclaims, O weep for Adonis, does not actually expect the reader to respond in this way upon request. There is no interpersonal relationship which permits one person to evoke emotional behavior in another according to this formula. The only possibility is to use an eliciting stimulus, either conditioned or unconditioned. The tearjerker, as we have noted, is a piece of writing which is designed literally to induce the secretion of tears. Other verbal repertoires are designed to evoke laughter. The use of conditioned stimuli to elicit emotional responses in this way is of great practical importance to professional entertainers. When we wish to eliminate responses of this sort, we adopt procedures appropriate to the conditioned reflex. When we control a companion's tendency to laugh upon a solemn occasion by drawing his attention away from a funny event, we simply remove the stimulus for laughter. When we achieve the same effect by kicking him in the shins, we simply present the stimulus for an incompatible response. Practical use is also made of certain drugs which induce or eliminate emotional reactions. For example, in the military services, a drug which reduces the response's characteristic of anxiety or fear is obviously of great value under battle conditions. Frequently, it is also desirable to change emotional predispositions. In a pep talk, a coach may take advantage of the fact that players exert themselves more aggressively against their opponents if they have been made angry. The skilled cross-examiner may use the same procedure to lead a witness to emit verbal responses which would otherwise be withheld. Soldiers in civilian populations are aroused to aggressive action with stories of atrocities, reminders of present or past injuries, and so on. Since individual histories are involved, the effective operations are to be found not in a theoretical analysis, but in a study of each case as it arises. A clear understanding of what is being done, however, may make such practices more effective. A particularly important emotional predisposition is that in which the individual favors a particular person, group, or state of affairs. It is hard to define the particular consequences of favorable behavior, but a fairly specific effect can often be discovered. A politician may arrange political rallies, kiss babies, publish favorable autobi uh, autobiographical details, and so on, 
only to strengthen one very specific response on the part of the electorate, placing a mark on a ballot opposite his name. An author or playwright generates favorable responses towards his characters by depicting them in situations which strengthen such behavior or which counteract opposing unfavorable behavior. And in this way, he increases the chances that his book or play will be liked. But the behavior at issue may be nothing more than the purchase of books or tickets or the spreading of favorable reports. Part of the effect here is reinforcement but we may also distinguish a kind of operation which must be classed as emotional. The advertiser interested in generating goodwill for his product employs the same procedures, where the specific behavior at issue is the purchase of the product. Thanks again for joining me here on Walking in the Woods with Dogs and another chapter in B.F. Skinner's Science and Human Behavior. Do me a favor, would you, whatever... Uh, platform you're using to listen to this on, subscribe to the podcast, and while you're at it, give it five stars. I know it's really bold and brazen of me to even suggest that, but it will help other people who are looking for good information about behavior to learn about B.F. Skinner and science and human behavior. Thanks. Thanks.